Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. This is officially episode 20, and we are joined by three repeat guests, a popular guest, I must add, um, based on my audience engagement and responses. Um, we're joined by Mike Miccioli, who is a Harvard University class of 2022 graduate, and he's currently a PhD student at the University of Chicago. Paula Ayacella is a co-organizer of the Boston Area of Science Defense, which is part of a larger Assange Defense Network across the country to help free Julian Assange. And Susan McLucas is a Boston area peace organizing activist too. And she, her activism goes way back to Vietnam. She talked about the Seabrook nuclear plant. Um, she discussed that some on the last um, episode, episode 13, which I advise everyone to tune into if you haven't heard about Julian Assange and this um, panel that we have on today, they were on episode 13 of Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. Thanks to each one of you for rejoining me again. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Kiko. No problem. And um, I wanna get started today by plugging in that um, th this forum is really growing um, in the numbers. It may not seem like it on some of the, the outlets because I do have a YouTube channel, but um, I took it down because a video was taken down a couple of months ago well, we put back our YouTube channel. So that is available for people. If you want to watch the visual episodes on YouTube, they are available on Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum on YouTube. But um, it's mainly podcasting, but people requested the videos. And so they are back on there, every single one of them. We were ranked top 5% globally uh, at the end of 2022 due to um, outreach. We reached 23 different countries. And the goal this year is to reach 100 different countries and um, get a top one, top two um, visibility within the podcasting world. But regardless, people are uh, retaining the message and it's worth it, even if it's 10 people that I'm reaching out to, I think it's worth it, you know, because 10 people can reach a hundred people, which can reach a thousand people. So I think it's all valuable at the end of the day. I wanna start with Susan first. Um, we talked a little bit previous to this interview and you're going to another event tonight. Um, can you kind of tell the audience what that's about? Well, uh, February 6th is the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. And my group, Healthy Tomorrow, is going down to the Boston Common to have a little standout about that. So we'll tell people what we're doing in Mali. Female genital mutilation, is this very common? In some places it is, yes. We work in Mali and it's a big problem there, although it's getting better. Okay. And what's the name of your organization again? Healthy Tomorrow. Healthy Our Tomorrow. Our website is stopexcision.net. Stopexcision.net. Yeah. Okay. I'll be sure to include that in the episode descriptions as well. I want to make sure that that was included. in. Okay. The but we're here to talk about Julian Assange. No problem. No, no problem. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Um, Thanks. As, as far as the October 8th rally, I wanted to start with that because that's kind of where we left off the last time we talked to each other. 
Um, were you there, Susan, for that? Uh, that was the big, Paula, help me out. That was the big thing that was all over the country and in um, London. Yes, we, mm -hmm. we, yes, we had it at the Department of Justice. We had yeah. a good turnout. We had a couple of hundred instead of the usual 20 or 25. Um, it was reported on by Fox News. I guess that was the most mainstream um, <clears throat> and several um, uh, independent media outlets, re you know, streamed it like Consortium News. and Yeah. And in London, it was big, 7,000 people surrounding oh, wow. Parliament going across the river both ways. And um, Paula made this great big uh, banner that encircled the Justice Department and it it got on some nice uh, media coverage. That's good. That's good. I, I was talking to Spike Cohen. He joined us a couple of episodes ago again, and he said that he was there and he said it was like beautifully organized. And he said that there was a lot of people. Um, but there was also another event there. The Women's March was there as well. That's but right. Apparently you all got a lot day. of reception too, though. There was a lot of reception with the Assange as well. They had a lot of wonderful speakers. I've seen a, uh, I guess it was a Twitter thread. Um, I, don't, I presume that's still available. Paula, how did people see the speakers from that day? Do you know? I think I think it's in the Consortium News article. Um, that's right. Main speakers, right. And Spike yeah, was wonderful. Spike Cohen was just, he was such a great speaker. We had... Chris Hedges and so many different groups of people and ideologies were represented. It was really an amazing event. Yeah. I truly do not know why they didn't just say, okay, they've got us. Drop the charges. But they didn't. <laughs> when you say they, who are you referring to? You know, President Biden, Merrick Garland, the powers that be. It is so completely antithetical to everything that we supposedly believe in, but I guess that shows how serious our beliefs are. I was wanting to get you into, Mike, because I don't know how much you've been following the developments with the Assange um, post-October 8th rally in D.C., but there seems to be a lot more visibility on Assange now, even, um, I guess, compared to a year ago at this time, there seems to be an uptick in on this building, especially from the mainstream media, it's still not enough, in my opinion, but I don't know what's going on exactly with this um, increased visibility. Do you have any suspicions as to why this is all of a sudden starting to get big again? Uh, yeah, there has been some increased attention in the media recently. There was a, a joint letter that was published and signed by the New York Times, The Guardian, Der Spiegel, El Pais, and Le Monde calling for uh, Julian Assange's extradition case to be dropped and calling it uh, a very dangerous threat towards press freedom, which was a good letter. But um, it is, of course, now almost four years into uh, his extradition case, uh, at least. So um, I'm not sure what exactly has been going on behind the scenes as of uh, most recently, but um, yeah, the case has really been dragging out uh, for a long time, and uh, Assange's health has been deteriorating. So I'm not sure uh, if there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know. But 
the Assange legal team has also uh, filed an appeal to the European Court of Human Rights over right. the extradition. So that was, I believe, uh, sometime since last time we spoke. Yeah, I think Paula linked something to me um, overnight about his legal team um, following that. What exactly is that, Paula? Do you know exactly what that is that Mike is referring to? Um, yeah, so the Assange defense um, filed an appeal on the U.S. extradition. Uh, we've been waiting to hear the ruling from the U.K. High Court. It was due in, it was expected at the end of December, and here it is the 1st of February. And I just want to point out that this is another example of the um, the torture involved in this uh, prosecution of Julian. The, these, um, you know, the fact that his confinement um, has this uncertain duration um, and the court dates and trial cases, there's, it's all up in the air. He's just always caught in limbo. And um, and that is a form, a type of torture in itself, the uncertainty of it all. And um, I don't, I was surprised to see the appeal to the European uh, Court of Human Rights because I thought that would come after the ruling of the UK um, uh, High Court's decision, but I, I guess um, they just filed them both in case the ruling isn't good. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't. I never thought about that. But maybe they're covering their bases. That that's a good possibility as well. Um, Susan, that was some stuff from the last interview. I, I think the last interview we kind of kept it like nonpartisan, but we obviously have our like um, I get feelings about this outside of Assange too. Just like the possibility as as to why they're using this. Um, egregious behavior towards Julian, like he's he's suffering right now. He's been suffering for a long time, and um, it's definitely some sort of a signal, in my opinion. Like this is a very um, strong signal. I feel like Julian knows even more than what we know that WikiLeaks knows um, about some of these people that are implicated, and um, I have a theory that maybe. WikiLeaks is just offering a small snippet of these grave atrocities, um, the war crimes, um, the intelligence leaks, all these different um, angles. I'm reading a book right now that talks about the link between organized crime and intelligence. Um, you know, Whitney Webb published a book, a two-volume series that I'm reading right now, and it talks about the blackmailing, um, One Nation Under Blackmail, volume one and two. And I don't want to compare Julian, obviously, to Jeffrey Epstein, of course not. But I do see some parallels between the cover-ups of stories and the visibility of stories, how they all of a sudden become big and then they diminish over time. Does WikiLeaks have any sort of information about that Jeffrey Epstein situation and Ghislaine Maxwell that you know of, Susan? Because I've seen rumors and stuff about WikiLeaks even that has implications on that that's going on right now. Uh, not that I know of, but they have so many different stories that, you know, who knows? Um, I don't begin to know, you know, a small part of it, but 
we mainly concentrate on is the stories for which he's being uh, prosecuted, you know, the Iraq war logs, the Afghan war logs, the Guantanamo files, and the mm -hmm. uh, cables. And, um, but I know he's, uh, he released information about, you know, oil leaks in Africa and, you know, shady dealings in Russia and just all kinds of things that I can't begin to keep straight. The reason why I brought this up is because, like, based on, like, I think our mutual sentiments, Stephen Donziger said it at the Belmarsh Tribunal. He said, like, Biden, like, come on already, you know, like, like what's mm -hmm. the hold up? And I guess I brought that sentiment up because it seems like there's some sort of a partisan um, attack against Julian. And it's coming a lot. I think a lot of this may have to do with I know that the DNC leaks aren't necessarily tied into the, the case, but I'm almost, I'm struggling to think that that doesn't have an influence on these people who are calling <laughs> the shots, um, the Clintons and the Trump team, because Pompeo was implicated in vote seven. Right. And so he obviously has reason to keep him behind bars. Mm -hmm. And the Clinton team, it's like they're still blaming him for her not getting into presidency. Yep. And so I see a lot of that going on. Do, do y'all see validity to that? Is it just simply um, this sticking to the court case or is it just outside influence that's also keeping Julian enemy number one, basically, against everyone else? Well, I think uh, the uh, people who are prosecuting them, even if they're not using the DNC leaks uh, as part of their... Uh, prosecution, they're very happy for people to not like Assange based on that. And they they made up this whole thing about how he he did that in collusion with Russia, which is absolutely just something that I don't know, it it just isn't true. And so it's just all part of the smear campaign because they don't want people to concentrate on the fact that he exposed war crimes, and he's being put away for life, whereas the people who did the war crimes are probably getting promoted. Um, and so they just try to muddy the water with all these things. Well, you know, he's a totally un unlikable character and, you know, shady and probably the reason we got Trump and everything. Mm, yeah. It's so totally unfair. I don't really understand it except that I'm not used to expecting justice from our government. So in that sense, it's not so bad. You know, the same government that does coups all over the world because leftists are getting too powerful. You're not surprised if they put a uh, truth teller in prison and try to make an example out of them. But still, it's just so completely hypocritical. With the They talk a great game about free speech and freedom of the press and then oh i'll accept julian assange mm -hmm. well what's the big exception <laughs> why is that different yeah no explanation when it comes to the uh, partisan aspect that you mentioned i think it's pretty clear that both political parties want julian assange to be locked up but there's a slightly different uh type of rhetoric coming from the last two administrations from the Trump administration, at least from uh, Mike Pompeo at the time, 
who was head of the CIA, there, he was very uh, open and brazen about wanting to persecute Assange, calling him a hostile non-state actor um, and uh, being very open about uh, the extradition versus currently under the Biden administration, they've just continued the same prosecution from uh, the Trump era, but they haven't really made many public statements at all about it. They dodge all questions they get when they're asked about it. You know, they always say, oh, you know, we're this department, refer to that department. We don't know anything about that. And so I think the Biden administration, which tries to posture more as, uh, you know, supposedly in support of a free press than Trump, doesn't really want that uh, case to be talked about and to be on their record. They don't want the legacy of being the uh, administration that actually extradited uh, a journalist to the United States. And so they're kind of just leaving it in limbo, kicking the can down the road and not really talking about it at all and hoping that maybe uh, it'll pass to the next administration even or that he'll just die in prison or something before they actually yeah, that would be their real goal victim of anything paula i had a question about um th that's the concerning part to me when you all would tell me just from the first episode julian's in, he's australian and i've never ever understood that point how can someone from the united states have control over a, a foreign a foreign citizen first of all like how does that even work out is it only because of the Espionage Act of 1917? Like, is that the only leverage they have? Like, how, how can they do that? Well, that's one of the problems with the case. If they actually were, um, you know, doing a, uh, if the judiciary was actually legal and not misrule of law, that would be one of them. Um, that, um, you know, first of all, you know, the Espionage Act, who did he give the information to? He gave it to global citizens so i guess we're the enemy and um yeah it's troublesome he never worked or lived in the united states and so um all the articles most of the articles write about this saying that the united states is such overreach that they want uh, jurisdiction over global you know journalism and that they could you know, reach out to anyone anywhere in the world if they report on US war crimes and do to them what they're doing to Julian Assange. It's very, very dangerous. Yes, I noticed that, and I'm, and I'm thinking as an Australian citizen, like what is the government of Australia doing in this matter? I see that they, there's been more talk about him now um, even the, the book press clubs over there, like I've been watching some of the YouTube videos and um, some of the audience seems surprised that these establishments that maybe were not so friendly to us Assange now are starting to realize, you know, that the world is, is watching this. And so um, even some of the more moderate publications and, and more right-leaning ones are starting to um, present this as more favorable for him when before it wasn't really the case. Um, I, I I don't know, it's just, it's, it's strange that, like what kind of fate that puts in the justice system, knowing that someone can just simply report on something and they not even be from the country that they're reporting in and you can do that to them. I just, um, and then the collusion really between the UK, the US, and wasn't he caught up in Sweden at one point? 
Yeah, there was. Yeah, um, the Swedish government had some trumped up allegations against him, which really didn't hold any water, but that didn't keep the UK from holding him in prison. And so you were saying, what's uh, what's Australia doing? Well, their prime minister, Anthony Albanese, has uh, talked in their parliament very uh, impassionedly saying, you know, enough is enough. It's really time to do something. And I've heard he was going to talk to Biden, but I haven't heard that he did. And so I don't really know what kind of, um, you know, outcome there is, but I know he is very much against the uh, the whole prosecution. But, um, you know, the U.S. is the superpower and all these other countries are minor powers in comparison. You know, even the U.K. is kind of like a little bit of a lapdog to the U.S. They're keeping him in prison because we want him to. Our government wants him to. I don't. But, um, you know, there are just an increasing number of um, people around the world who have uh, come out in favor of Assange. There are nine presidents of Latin American countries. And um, Germany, their Bundestag has made cross-party uh, resolutions. And um, we're kind of on our own. The, uh, us in the UK seem to be the only ones, maybe some other right-wing governments, I don't know. But I mean, there's a lot of opposition to this. And I think it's just a testament to how powerful our country is that if they want it, then that's the way it is. Mm. You know, you were asking, is it the Espionage Act? And, um, you know, they they um, refer to laws and everything, but when they don't um, really mm, do what they need, they just ignore the thing. Like there's a, a clear part of the extradition treaty between the UK and the US that says mm -hmm. no one can be extradited for a political offense. Well, how can Julian's, you know, making the US mad because of exposing the, their war crimes, how can that be considered not a political offense? Exactly. And so they just, you know, there was one um, parliamentarian that mentioned that. Uh, couple of years ago or something but everyone's just keeping quiet about that and hoping it'll go away mm -hmm. and um you know laws can't you know jump out of the law books and make things happen it's just the people that make the policies and if they feel like ignoring a law if they're powerful enough that's what happens mm -hmm. <laughs> there was I a new government elected in australia less than a year ago a labor government that uh was nominally in support of assange they put out positive statements but yeah as susan was saying they haven't really uh done much about that since they've been in office they haven't you know try and leverage their relationship at all they're still very friendly with both the u.s and the uk and have been going forward with this uh, AUKUS alliance between the three countries, which is a military alliance uh, directed uh, hostily against China. And uh, I believe they even have some 
deals going forward about uh, the U.S. being allowed to uh, store nuclear weapons potentially in Australia, um, closer to closer to China. So uh, while they have put out some uh, some positive statements, they haven't uh, allowed their uh, supposed support for Assange really get in the way of their uh, their relationship, their subservient relationship to the United States. Yep, unfortunately. Yeah, and with regards to the Espionage Act, uh, it doesn't just, uh, I guess the way the U.S. is enforcing it doesn't only apply to the United States, but the U.S. is interpreting it as they're allowed to take any uh, citizen around the world and uh, extradite them if they believe that they have uh, obtained any kind of documents with the intention of harming the U.S. So that means not only people like Assange, but if you just look at the wording of the Espionage Act, that means that even if people like you or I were reading documents and uh, you know sharing them online, that the U.S. determined uh, was with the intention of harming their country, whatever that means, that uh, in theory the law is so broad they could, you know, uh, try and prosecute anyone for just reading the documents that WikiLeaks has published as well. Yes, going back to the the Australian um, Prime Minister, there I, I don't know the person's name, but one of Julian's attorneys that I think she's based in Australia, I know you all probably know her name, but she was saying that it's as simple as, as the President calling Biden on the phone and and that hasn't happened apparently because that question was asked on the press um, club um, conference I was watching on there, and they asked that precise question, like, have they had contact with each other about Assange? And and the attorney said, not to my knowledge. So that tells you right there that the response is not what it needs to be at all. I mean, they're not trying to. Um, make a deal at all and and speaking of that is that some sort of a deal in place because from what i've read assange is not accepting any sort of a plea deal at all is does that factor in this at all because like he's he's not giving into anything and i think that's kind of um i guess pissing them off more too have you heard that he was offered a deal i read some stuff where Debate the way it was framed, it was like he he was not going to accept the deal in under any circumstance. Mm -hmm. So that sounds like him to me. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's what I read. So that's I think that that's also um, he's also a very um, calculated, serious person. Like he's not someone to be messed with at all. And so I I really hope he's able to get on the other side of this. But um, reading that book. one Nation Under Blackmail, I could only think of Assange. It had nothing to do with him, really. But in a way, it does in my mind, because it, it sounds like he has just so much information on these intelligence agencies and stuff, too. And and we know how the U.S. feels about that whenever the intelligence agencies and these people are sort of uncovered. Then that's that's definitely not what the image they want to send. And that's also very problematic because it shows that there's no cohesion of government whatsoever. There's basically agencies doing whatever they're doing. No one knows what's happening, but Julian is uncovering what those agencies are doing like outside of the government. 
So it's, so the actual government that we call a government doesn't have a clue what's going on because these other agencies are basically doing what they want to do anyway. And, and, and that's a scary thing to me. To me, that's not even an organized nation at that point. They're just, it's, it's, it's chaos. I was actually going to come back to that, Whitney Webb, um, when you brought that up about the CIA coming from, you know, organized crime. It has a lot to do with Julian, actually, because um, the CIA plotted to uh, kill um, Julian at the embassy. And those really aren't allegations anymore. There's a court going on, a trial going on in Spain that there's tons of evidence um, that this did happen. They spied on him, all the, the, the videotape footage, um, people had their devices broken into, all that information was sent to um, uh, uh, um, to the district that's uh, extraditing in the Eastern District of Virginia. So we know there's communication between UC Global that spied on him for the CIA and the um, the court that is uh, extraditing him. So, so yeah, the and also um, going back to the October eighth event, uh, Chris Hedges gave a very powerful speech on that. He said we're actually holding the event in the wrong place. We shouldn't be outside the Department of Justice. We should be out in front of the CIA who holds the keys on Julian's freedom. Because he just flat out said it. He said Julian's freedom depends on on the CIA backing off. And and it's discouraging because we feel like they probably won't. There's no reason for them to. They're it sounds like they're they've dug in and they're going to um keep him silenced and and go through with the prosecution. And there's an interesting uh, law case going on. Some of the lawyers and other visitors who visited Assange at the uh, Ecuadorian embassy uh, all had to um, give over their uh, laptops and phones when they went to visit. And so while they were visiting, the UC Global was busy uh, copying all their computers and phones and sending the information back to uh, the court, I guess, that's going to um, prosecute him. So uh, some of these people are getting together and they're suing uh, Mike Pompeo and the CIA and this um, security firm, UC Global, and the head of that, Morales, who used to work for the CIA, and it seems like they were just kind of using that little security firm as a little branch of the CIA to to get Julian. So it'll be interesting to see how this court case plays out. It's possible, although we don't know, you know, that the press seems to be so allergic to reporting on the case itself of Julian Assange and maybe this lawsuit will be something that seems a little bit more, I don't know, less problematic to report on. We don't know, but it's just another angle. And um, I hope that it, I hope they get them. Get that sleazy Pompeo and all the rest of oh them. Oh my gosh, yeah, just, 
Yeah, he was the head of the CIA, wasn't he? Yeah. So yeah, again, reading that book is just um, and people, my my friends know that I I enjoy like I take it as a badge of honor when people call me conspiracy theorist and all this stuff because um, to me the the environment to it causes you to be skeptical, you know, just um. I don't see anything wrong with the skepticism. I mean, we're obviously not getting all the information we need. So it, people are going to naturally try to draw their own conclusions and put things together themselves because mm-hmm. we don't, we don't, they're not being honest with us. So I, it, it goes back to our word versus their word. And at this point, I'm willing to uh, put my money on our word versus their word. <laughs> exactly. Uh, to, mm-hmm. So I want to say that um, our group has been protesting for gee about two years now i think uh we're our schedule these days is every three weeks and um our next protest is uh the 11th is coming up uh uh saturday um we'll be out at park street from 11 30 to 12 30 and park street station on the boston common we'd love anyone to join us and anyone who would like to be on our mailing list can either write to me at susanbmcl at gmail or paula at assangeboston at gmail. That might be easier to remember. And uh, we would be happy to put you on our list and let you know about our uh, events coming up. Um, and there's also a uh, uh, the 23rd of this month, uh, all over the country, uh, Assange uh, Defense is organizing student freedom, press freedom days. And uh, we're working on one in Boston. It's shaping up. Mike may have some news. I'm trying to connect people. And Mike is busy with his studies and that, but I know he's still interested in activism. And um, they're putting something together in Chicago. So I haven't heard if... uh, you know, Mike is active in that, how the, how that's coming along. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure uh, about what's going on exactly. I know that um, there's something going on in Chicago, an event with Kevin Gastola, I believe, that uh, Paula sent to me. So I'll try and be there for that. Um, but I haven't, um, I haven't been able to, to organize anything myself uh, with regards to the issue, I've been um, spending some time recently with the University of Chicago's Students for Justice in Palestine group. Um, so we've been having some actions on campus recently um, for that. But mm-hmm. I'm sure that if something uh, does shape up in Chicago, that um, we could have some supporters with our group there. I had I had two questions before we conclude. Um, one actually pertains to the university setting, and the second question pertains to um, this whole idea of Belmarsh being such a high security prison. And why why is why is Julian in a prison like that to begin with? I think this was mentioned during the Belmarsh Tribunal, where someone was um, making a relationship with Daniel Hell and his situation right now. Why, at the very least, is he being held in a prison like that and not a lower tier prison? Well, it's to make an example of him. I mean, here um, you had a dictator, Pinochet, 
when he waited his two years uh, for the extradition hearings to begin, he was put up in a palace mm. outside of London and Margaret Thatcher and he had guests and he was given wine and visitors. And I forget how many countries wanted to extradite him for the war crimes he committed. So that how that shows how everything is turned upside down with justice, that you have the war criminals put up in a palace and you have the 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 person defending press freedom and free speech and the First Amendment, and they have him in a supermax prison to disappear him and silence him completely. So it's uh it's just a cruel state of affairs. It's uh it's frustrating because they've really turned the law upside down. They they you know, where they defend war criminals. Yeah. I just yeah. I ju I just want to say a little bit about um that there are things going on in Congress concerning the Espionage Act. I know Mike talked about the Espionage Act the last time we got together, the first time. It's very, very important, and it might be good for him to go over that again. Um, so there is reform that's happening, but it's not really, It's you know how it takes forever for things to move through um, legislation. And uh, I don't think it's gonna come around to help Julian. There's currently um, an act called P-R-E-S-S, -S, press, the Press Act, that passed unanimously through the House. They tried to push it through before the holidays in the Senate, and Senator Cotton came, and he blocked it, um, trying to make it like it's a, it's a partisan issue for liberals who are, you know, dis disenfranchised with the government to, um, but it has nothing to do with that. It really has to do with protecting not only journalists, but anybody handling uh, you know, sensitive documents on, that are of public interest. Um, and so we hope that that press act goes through the Senate. That's very helpful to uh, protect journalists from being surveilled and um, forced to give up their sources and the, their documents. Um, so there are good things happening, but whether or not they'll pass, um, and I don't know if there, any of it's gonna really help Julian which really needs some kind of intervention um, because it is a political, he's a political prisoner. It's not his fate isn't gonna be decided. Well, negatively, it could be de decided in the courts, but it really has to have some kind of intervention like uh, Prime Minister Albanese from Australia coming in and just demanding his freedom. So, and I just found out something when I was doing research that the, that the Espionage Act, they're trying to grow it. <laughs> It, with among themselves they're they're doing studies and doing um they're creating studies in uk sweden australia and canada so creating studies and laws that align with the u.s espionage act so now there's a trend to um strengthen the espionage act in order to protect the governments from you know for wrong wrongdoings they don't want because no government is going to come forward and share their their crimes uh publicly so they're actually trying to beef up the espionage act mm. quite frightening whereas of course they should be voting on whether to repeal it but i haven't heard any discussion of that well yeah. in the US, like i said there's a little bit of that going on but this is very concerning and i understand when you do a lot of activism and when you go all in with a lot of causes that it can cause like frustration and, and a lot of burnout and stuff. But um, 
anybody living in the country should be genuinely concerned about um, what's happening right in plain daylight. And and maybe people are using their escapism as a way to not um, redirect themselves towards these sort of um, um, cases like Julian's. Uh, but but it's a one of a kind um, case. I can't recall anybody under this sort of um, persecution um, being a journalist. Um, and I've been following politics my whole life. I've never seen anything like it myself. Um, I I was a second year student at Middle Tennessee State University when the Iraq War, um, well not the Iraq War, Afghanistan was started after nine eleven. And I was thinking about all the, the widespread protesting on campus there and some of the area campuses in Middle Tennessee. I that, that was my last question I had about the visibility of Assange. What kind of activity, Mike, especially since you're in college right now, and I'll also give this question to Susan and Paula as well. This um, presence that we had during the Iraq war and during the Afghanistan war, that we don't seem to have right now. Um, is there any sort of Assange activism going on campus or even when you were at Harvard? And and what goes into that, I guess, is my question. Just not comparing apples and oranges, but just trying to see where the human sentiment is and where the activist sentiment is on the campuses. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the Afghanistan and Iraq wars, but there's not nearly as much uh, anti-war sentiment and protests going on on college campuses today. I think um, last year, back in February or March, um, back when the, the war in Ukraine really escalated after Russia invaded, um, there was there were various rallies on campus, but they were all calling to like for the U.S. to send more arms, more weapons to Ukraine, implement no-fly zones, all sorts of uh, wild and reckless propositions. I went to one of them and I tried to counter protest. I held up a sign that said abolish NATO and, uh, <laughs> you know, no weapons, no sanctions, negotiate, something like that. I was the only person against it. Someone, wow. someone came and like ripped up my signs and, uh, threw them on the ground. So there's really, um, nowhere near the same level of anti-war, uh, sentiment on campuses today as there was, I don't think, during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Um, and then when it comes to the Assange case, talking to people I found, uh, you know, people who uh, are also in certain, you know, progressive and activist spaces who are sympathetic towards the cause, but there's really just not enough coverage of uh, the case in the press for people to really be uh, familiar with it and to be um, I guess be to have it on their horizon so that they would be organizing in the first place so um, yeah I, I've been involved as I mentioned with uh, with students for justice in Palestine and so we have um, generally a, a pretty sympathetic uh, campus at least the student groups on campus I think relative to when you would have been in college, there's a lot more public opinion uh, support for Palestine um, and less for Israel than there was uh, several decades ago. 
So uh, that's definitely a, a positive shift that we've had on that one issue. But when it comes to um, wars like the war in Ukraine, people really aren't uh, showing out at the same levels as they were back in Iraq and Afghanistan. The, the taking the side, because that's the thing, that's the dangerous part about um, um, being involved in something. You, 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 you're against it or you're for it, but saying that you're against Russia, for instance, is, is that's not an anti-war stance. So you're picking a side to continue a war so that they can defeat Russia or whatever that means. So it's, it's a great point, but I don't know why my friends don't see it. Um, some of them are starting to see it more now, but um, it all goes back to this connection between the information that's getting, being um, sold by the state to, to the citizens. You, see, you have all these different, it's crazy. We mentioned Epstein earlier. We mentioned um, the anti-war movements. These things are related to Julian in some way, shape, or form. It's not like they're completely distant because there's an accountability standard that's not being held in any of these situations. There's no reason why we shouldn't have any information implicating all these people that were involved in the pedophilia rings and all, I mean, it all goes back to that. Like we're, we're being taken away from all the information and the people who have the information, unfortunately are the same people who I think are gonna be dictating Julian's freedom or not. Like um, Susan was saying earlier, like, like what can we do besides bringing awareness to Julian? Yeah. And when it, uh, the war in Ukraine really points to how important uh, work like Julian's and WikiLeaks is because uh, so much of the public doesn't really understand the origins of the war. And um, the, cur the current CIA director, Bill Burns, who at the time was the diplomat to Russia, um, he had made statements in various cables saying that, you know, if the U.S. keeps pushing for NATO expansion Ukraine and there's going to be a war and uh, we know about those cables because they were released through WikiLeaks so um, with uh, the the current state of the U.S. media and um, just their their full propaganda front uh, against Russia and uh, about the origins of the war it's extremely important that we have uh, investigative journalists and whistleblowers and leakers to be shedding some light on what's really going on behind the scenes. Yeah, we Jesse. could really use uh, Julian's voice now. I just want to give a plug in to something that's related to the situation with Ukraine. I've mentioned it on a few episodes previous to this one. The book that I'm currently reading right now consists of 25 essays and it talks to the lead up to this um, Ukraine-Russia situation. There's a big history with this, but this book was published in 2014 and it's called Flashpoint in Ukraine, How the U.S. Drives Hegemony uh, Towards World War III. And um, it has some fascinating collaborations in the book. Um, I recommend people get that book and read it. Um, I think I'm going to be able to get two or three people that contributed to that series to uh, come on the forum oh, nice. to sort of give a perspective to that. Because these things aren't created out of thin air at all. And um it's important for the audience to keep that in mind that um, the Julian situation has been going on what I think his dad, John Shipton, said, this is year 14 now. 
he said that during the tribunal, and um, he has such a beautiful um, message during the tribunal. I, I enjoyed a lot of the messages. Some of the speakers came across as self-centered to me, though. I don't know if that was just my assessment, but um, Jeffrey Sterling came across as kind of um, absorbed a little bit, and he said some good stuff, but some of the speakers were a little bit, you know, self-absorbed and not focusing as much on Assange. But but overall, I thought it was a great event. Yeah, overall, it was wonderful. I wish we yeah. had been able to make President Biden and Merrick Garland sit down there in the front row and listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, are you all still going to Merrick Garland's, like, outside of there? I know there's people there all the time, like, protesting, right? Yes, they just had their uh, first Sunday vigil uh, yesterday, and um, they actually had local uh, news show up. I checked the, well, they show up, but I haven't seen it in the news yet. So mm -hmm. there's more interest, more interest with people wanting to send uh, a journalist there. So um I, I do, do want to mention we're talking about war and anti-war and the thing that Mike said about, you know, how, you know, why we don't have so many people in the street. There are millions of people in the street to stop the Iraq war. And that is actually how WikiLeaks came to be. Julian was frustrated that millions of people could not stop the war, the letters, the, the street activism. And it was shocking. So he said, what will? stop the wars and then he thought well exposing the horrors of it you know education and that and so that's how wikileaks was founded is because it came out of you know stopping wars and um and i do want to mention a big event that's happening at the D uh, doj the department of justice february 19th it's called the rage against the war machine uh, freeing Julian Assange is one of their, um, it's on their uh, list. Um, big speakers, Scott Ritter, uh, Ron Paul, Tulsi Gabbard, Dennis Kucinich, David Swanson with World Beyond War, Scott Horton of Anti-War and Peace Activist Anne Wright. Um, they're all speaking. It's a big event and they're, they're expecting, uh, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people on the 19th of this month. So you know what time so it it's, starts? It's, con it's control over the narrative. You know, why, you know, why are people rooting for war now instead of against NATO? It it's the media has control over the narrative. So the people only know what they read. And so we're also not only fighting for justice, but fighting against propaganda. And it's a we have our work cut out for us. Mm -hmm all meant to demoralize us and i think palestine gets a little bit more because there's videos online that just show the horrors of the occupation and julian is disappeared and you know saving free pre uh, press freedom is abstract i mean this is something we're dealing with with uh communication with senator warren's office it's a it's an abstract uh concept of losing losing the first amendment Whereas, you know, the, you know, George Floyd was a horror that was on, that was taped and it, you know, it got a lot of public support and 
Julian doesn't get that public support partially because of what they they've smeared him, but also because it's an abstract fight. What you were saying about the origins of WikiLeaks reminds me of uh, Julian's famous quote where he said, um, if wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. And that got him going. He probably never thought he was going to pay for it with his life. I guess um, the parting, um, I guess all we can do is just kind of follow the developments um, with Julian. That is, is really hard to watch it, really. Um, you know, just as an outsider, it's, it's hard to, to watch these developments. You, you want to think that something's going to happen right away. Um, and, and this is not to... Um, absolve the blame from like even Biden and these previous administrations. Is there any reason for them not to like do something like, since they hold the keys? Do they really hold the keys to this or is this something else that's keeping them from doing this? Not that we know of. As far as we know, they could just decide, okay, this is the day, let's do it. Now, what we've been saying doesn't make it seem especially encouraging, but we still encourage people to write to the president. The easiest way to do it is at whitehouse.gov slash contact and just write, you want Julian Assange to be freed, drop the charges. And then um, you can write uh, Merrick Garland at justice.gov slash contact dash us slightly different but generally the same idea and um i mean they must be getting a lot of messages but we're hoping if they get even more messages they'll finally say you know we don't want to be known as the people who ruined press press freedom who killed julian assange in prison uh or who you know Put him in jail for life and then somebody decades from now will you know absolve him like they absolved uh you know Sacco and Vanzetti after they're long dead mm. we want him out now where he can enjoy his life go back to his journalism go back to his family read do, Julian Assange <laughs> yes I was just going to say do you all have any final um words um just to to my audience or just any um, plugins that you want to give, and um, subsequently, just any the most direct way to to reach out to y'all if, if a guest had a question for you or if they want to keep in touch with you outside of this interview. Well, um, I gave my um, our emails, but I'll do it again. Um, I'm at Susan B M C L at Gmail, and Paula is at Assange Boston at Gmail. And uh, also, I don't think we've given our um, uh, national website, which is assangedefense.org. And Paula's holding up some really good books that we want to plug. Yeah, so a lot of the red flags to me are just all the brilliant people are coming forward and they're either writing or speaking or, you know, in uh, Julian Assange's defense, there's no one you know, but the the dark side that wants to see Julian extradited. 
And um, so this is Stefania Maurizzi's work, um, her, her new book that was just published. She has been involved in a battle to acquire the Freedom of Information Act documents showing correspondence between the US and UK. Apparently there's over 8,000 documents of correspondence between the two. They've only released 350 pages. So it's the tip of the iceberg and it's obviously obvious that they're hiding that they're not releasing the documents. And of course, this is the Bible on the Julian Assange case written by UN Tor Special Torture Rapporteur Niels Meltzer. And the thing that I encourage people to do, it's the easiest thing to do, is to leave a message on the Department of Justice uh, comment line, 202-353-1555. That's the easiest thing to do. You just leave a message. You know, it's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. Um, uh, to use the Espionage Act against a journalist, drop all the charges and free Julian Assange. My email is my last name, M-I-C-C-I-O-L-I at uchicago.edu. And um, I guess if we're mentioning books, there's a, a fairly recent book by Ralph Engelman and Carrie Shankman that I'm going to read soon. It's called A Century of Repression. And it's about the history of the espionage act and uh, it includes the cases all the way from eugene debs to uh daniel ellsberg snowden and assange so i'm looking forward to reading that soon and the author of that book again carrie shankman and ralph engelman thank you all so much um for your participation in this forum again and um, make sure you all spread the word to your friends and family. Again, the audience, um, including myself, because I think you all knew a lot more about Julian's case, um, you know, even before the first episode. Like I've been following some, but um, it's good to have these different perspectives um, kind of come together and, um, and people can get more information and maybe inform some of their loved ones as well as, as far as what's going on. Um, we need to do that for all um, news events and all um, personal accounts, not just Julian's situation, just so we can be a more informed populace. And hopefully that helps us make better decisions going forward as far as um, um, we can live with ourselves more when it comes to having principles. Um, we support people based on principles and not based on these um, sound bites and these emotional shifts because they told me to do this. So now I have to do it because everyone else is doing it. Um, that's what we promote in this form is free thought. And um, it may be unpopular to some people the year round, but I think at the end of the day, being well informed and not having biases when you have all the information is the, is the right way to go. And some people may not like that. They may not like um, this sort of an unapologetic approach, but I think over time people are starting to um, respect it more. I, I, know, I know that my audience is very diverse and different and we're all learning together. And I know that you all have been a great um, tool for my audience to, to learn more about Julian Assange. So I wanna thank each and every one of you um, for coming on here again and beautiful people. I don't know who we have next. We have so many people lined up. I'm booked all the way up into April, but we have some amazing guests uh, down the road. So please keep following. 
Um, subscribe to all the different platforms, the podcasting platform of your choice, including our YouTube channel that we reinstated a few months ago. Um, good evening, beautiful people, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank you.